happy Father's Day to you guys, fathers. While we were singing, I heard a little daddy exclaimed from the back, and it just blessed my heart. And so, kids, I know that usually we don't do church this way. Y'all would be not looking at coloring sheets and sermon notes uh, and, and things like that, but we are so glad to have you guys in here with us. So, uh, this morning, I, I was in the bathroom, and I was brushing my teeth, and uh, I had put on Peace Train by Cat Stevens. I don't know if y'all know Cat Stevens very well or not. It's one of the songs from Remember the Titans. We just watched it together as a family. And I'm, I'm singing it while I'm brushing my teeth and probably making a mess on the mirror that my wife's not a fan of. And Karen Ann walked in the door. And she, I, I was real curious because of how she walked in. She, oh, you are taped down something fierce. Um, she walked in like with a concerned look on her face. And, and she, 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 she came and she said, oh, okay, okay. And I was like, what? She said, I thought you were singing Cats in the Cradle, and this was like a really dark moment for you, and I was worried about the sermon and the whole Sunday kind of a thing. But no, I, I am very glad to be with you guys this morning on Father's Day. Uh, some of you guys know my history. Uh, I'll be honest, this is one of my hardest Sundays to preach. I've worked through the notes a few times, and I haven't completely lost it. No promises for this morning. But Father's Day is a hard day for me to preach to, and it has nothing to do with whether or not I have a good Heavenly Father. I have, we have, those of us who have trusted in God, have the greatest Father anyone could ask for. To be honest with you, what, what I ended up wrestling with was there were so many decades where because I know that God is good and I know that he is control and I know that he is sovereign, I kind of thought that was enough and I never really invited the gospel into my pain to wrestle with. Does that make sense? A lot of you guys are sovereignty people and sometimes we can just say God's good and God's sovereign so move on but God wants us to feel what we feel with him and invite him into that. And so if you would, in your Bibles, flip to Genesis chapter 25. We're going to start in, uh, excuse me, Genesis chapter 21, verse 5, is where we are going to start this morning. And one of the beautiful things about the passage that we are going to look at is if you are five years old, 55 years old, if you are a dad, if you have a father, if you're a grandfather, every one of us is going to find ourselves in this text in some way. Some of us are going to come to it with a whole lot of brokenness and baggage. Some of us are going to come to it with a whole lot of celebration. And that is the beauty of God's Word. I'm looking at a lot of different people in this room. I know that I'm looking at a lot of people back home. And isn't it cool that all of us with different backgrounds and different baggages and different celebrations can read the same gospel text because the Holy Spirit empowers it and we can find God's truth and God's Word for our independent situations. What an incredible blessing. So, Amory, thank you so much for praying. Let me jump right in, and we'll probably pray a little bit in a minute. Verse 5. Here's where we find Abraham. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Kids, look at your dads for a minute. They all look good compared to Abraham, okay? Abraham was a hundred years old when he had Isaac. Verse 6. And Sarah said, this is Abraham's wife, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. So here we are in the text. 
and, and, and we're looking at Abraham, and there is this massive feast going on. So uh, Isaac was probably two years old or three years old. That's about the time when a kid was getting weaned in the Old Testament. We do it a little different nowadays. Those kids just walked around and ran up to mommy when they were hungry. It was a little different back then. So Isaac is two or three years old, and they are having this sort of big birthday slash Father's Day celebration, and Abraham throws a feast. So you can imagine it. Uh, Kids, you can just think of a really good party with really good food, and the neighbors are invited, families invited, extended family is invited. Why? Because Abraham is looking at this little two to three-year-old, and he is praising God for this fact that many, many years before, God went to Abraham, and he said, Abraham, I want to do something special with you. Not because you're great or you're special. To be honest, you're just some random dude. But I'm great and I'm special. And I want to put on display how incredible my promise making and keeping is. So he looks at Abraham and he says, I'm going to give you descendants that are so numerous. It'll outnumber the stars in the sky. It'll outnumber the, the, the grains of sand on the seashore. Well, the problem was Abraham was old. And not only was Abraham old, his wife was never able to have children. And so here they are celebrating friends and family. He is a father. God is good. And we all know the song, right? Y'all help me out. What, what comes first? Father Abraham. Many sons, many sons have father Abraham. And I'm one of them. And so are you. Right? So any of you who ever went to VBS, right? You know that song. This is where it comes from. And then everything changes. Um, I, I think this is just the way life works. Uh, things can be going, I, I didn't come up with an illustration for this because you can, you can all think of one. Everything's great. The sun is out. It is party time. It is feast time. There's good food. There's family. And then there's a shift. I'm, I'm going to read verse 8 again. And I just want you to feel the weight when we sneak into verse 9. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But, you see, this happens in life all the time, that in the course of a moment, everything changes. If you know your history really well, you know that while Abraham was celebrating the, the, the growth of Isaac, he has another son. Anybody want points to the camp store for telling me what that son's name is? Ishmael. He has a son named Ishmael. Anybody want to get a ton of extra points and tell me how old Ishmael is at this party? Give it a guess. Come on. Guess at home. Be your dad. What are we going with? 13. No. Way off. That would really change the dynamics of the story if Ishmael was 42. (laughs) Ishmael's like, mom, are we really going to? Okay. Ishmael was probably 16 years old at this point. He was probably 13 or 14 when Isaac was born, and now he's two or three years older than that. So we have a 16-year-old Ishmael, and here is what we find. Verse 9. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. He was probably mocking. Any of us who have more than one kid understand this. We've seen this from a cross, right? We've seen this. We've seen all of the things where brothers mock one another. But this goes too far. So, he said, so she said, verse 10, so she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son. 
She doesn't even give Ishmael credit for being Abraham's true son. And the Bible actually does. So you can feel the resentment. You can feel the hate. And you can understand, in a sense, Sarah's position. You know, here is a 16-year-old. I have a 2-year-old. Abraham is only going to have one heir of the promises that God has given. And I'm real concerned that if this is how he's acting, you know what, Abraham? I'm just not going to deal with this. You need to send them away. Now, if we know our Bible history, it was actually Sarah's idea for Abraham to take Hagar as a wife. If we go back earlier in Genesis, Sarah looks at herself and she looks at Abraham and she says, Abraham, I'm not going to be able to do this for you. God's given you this great promise of a lot of descendants, but I can't be the one. And Abraham, it says in the Bible, Abraham listened to his wife, Sarah, and it's a cut. He was supposed to lead. He was supposed to be the one who was faithful. He was supposed to be the one who directed his family in trusting the Lord, and he does not. And so here's what we find. Send her out, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Verse 11. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. The thing that we need to recognize here is that Ishmael is bearing the sin of his father. What's about to happen here, Sarah asking a 16-year-old and his mom, who have been part of the family, to be kicked out. Ishmael is about to bear the weight of his father's sins. Should Ishmael have mocked his brother? No, but let's be honest. Does mocking really constitute separating out permanently from a family? No. If it did, this would be a much emptier room right now. Okay? And we know that. So what is going on here? We have two sons with the same father, but dramatically different experiences and futures. All because, dads, I want your ears to perk up on this. Two sons, same father, dramatically different experiences and futures, all because of the faith or lack of faith of their fathers. That's what changed this. That's what, that's what changed Isaac and Ishmael's life more than anything else. Dads, your daily faith dramatically affects your children and family. And I'm being very cautious to say daily because in our culture, I think we have bought into the, to the fact that if I get the big things right, that's the most important thing. Is there food on the table? Is the mortgage getting paid? Can I just tell you that it's actually the small things that go so much further? On the day when this entire problem was born, it was a day like any other. Abraham woke up and he silenced his phone. I'm being hyperbolic here, obviously. He made his cup of coffee and he was doing life. And Sarah just walks up to him and says, I don't think this is going to work. I don't think we can really trust the Lord the way we thought we could. And in that moment, Abraham had the chance to say, no, 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 no. In this simple, daily, mundane Tuesday, we're going to trust God. But he didn't. And it dramatically affected his children and grandchildren and on. In fact, faith is exactly why Ishmael wasn't able to be Abraham's heir. All right, so kids in the room, parents, no chance to answer. What does faith mean? Can y'all give me another word for faith? Anybody want to make a guess on that? It's okay if you get it wrong. Everybody in here has gotten something wrong before, trust me. I spent a lot of time with them. Faith, best guess. (laughs) Thank you, adult who just tried to make a child. Faith could mean belief. It could mean trusting. So when we say, I have faith in something, right now, in a sense, you're having faith that that chair's not going to crush under your weight. You didn't even think about it, but you sat down on it, right? You're trusting in something. You're believing in something. Faith is exactly why Ishmael wasn't able to be Abraham's heir. Because Abraham didn't believe God. Now, don't miss this, because this is the heart of the gospel in this text. 
Abraham dearly wanted Ishmael to be that son. If we look in Genesis 17, it'll appear behind me. God comes to Abraham, and Abraham falls on his face and laughs and says, Shall a child be born to a man who's a hundred years old? God shows up a year before Isaac comes. Ishmael at this time is already born and moving into his teenage years. And we go on and we read this. Shall Sarah, who's 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Abraham looks and he says, Can't Ishmael be the one? Can't he be the son of the promise? I love my kid. I know that I've made mistakes. And I know that he's bearing the weight of those mistakes. But does, does he have to bear that much weight? Can't he be enough? Can't he be the one by which... All nations are going to be blessed by which your son and Messiah Jesus is going to come. And God simply says, no. And it's not because I hate Ishmael. And it's not because I'm trying to be vindictive with you. It's really quite simple, Abraham. He can't be the one of the promise because what I'm putting on display is that to become my son, you can only access me through faith, through believing through trusting. There is no workaround. There is no shortcut to getting into my family. And you didn't trust me when it came to Ishmael. You have to trust me if you want to be in my family. And you're going to have to trust me if you want to see me build yours. The way that I said I would. Ishmael was born because Abraham didn't trust God. Isaac was born because he did. Let's jump back into our text. Verse 12. But God said to Abraham... Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Can I just tell you what this sounds like? It sounds like God's saying, Abraham, Sarah's saying to separate your family and send away your son. And I'm saying you should do that. It sounds like God is telling Abraham or allowing Abraham to be the opposite of the kind of father that every one of us knows that God is calling us to be. So what's actually happening here? Sarah's like, get rid of, get rid of, my, uh, get rid of Hagar, get rid of Ishmael. And God says, yeah, do that thing. What? Can we agree as Christian people that's a little bizarre? What's going on here? Verse 13. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also... Because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He took bread and a skin of water, gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. What is happening here? How could God tell Abraham to send them away? Most of us, when we think about the faith of Abraham, we think of a very different story. We think of Isaac being about the age that Ishmael is now. We think of Abraham being told to take him up and sacrifice Isaac. And we know that later on in scripture, Abraham's thought was, well, if I do this thing, God could bring him back from the dead and he has faith. And God stops him. He says, no, 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 no. I, I wanted to know that you trusted me above all things. I think Abraham actually shows us an incredible amount of faith before we get to that place in the Bible. All right, but you have to follow with me. This is not a stretch, by the way. He sends them away with what? The Bible says he gives Hagar and Ishmael two things. What does he give them? Bread and water. A prisoner's rations. He gives them the most meager thing and sends them away. What did they just do the day before? They had a feast. 
So do you know what I know? I know for a fact that Abraham had way more that he could have sent them away with. He could have sent them away with animals to sustain them and animals to ride on. He could have given them gold and clothing and way more than bread and water. So was Abraham being mean? Was he being vindictive? Was he washing his hands? No, 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 no. Because we know, I did it, you're right. The guys made fun of me the other day. They were like, Will, you always go, no, 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 no. And I was like, no, I don't. I just did it. Is that what God's doing? No, 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 no. Because what do we see? We see Abraham pleading with God because he loves his son. We see that in the moment Sarah says it, his heart drops. Abraham has plenty of stuff to send him with and all the love in the world. Then why on earth does he only give them bread and water? I think it's because for the first time in a big way, Abraham is putting on display that he is actually trusting God in this. I I don't know if he had the conversation with Hagar and Ishmael. I don't know if he looked at his 16-year-old son in the eyes. Because you can imagine this. They just had this massive feast. And now he wakes up in the morning and he gets this small ration of bread and a little bit of water. And he gives it to Hagar, his wife. And he looks at his 16-year-old son. And then he watches him walk away. I think this does seem really unfair at first glance. And I think Abraham would have just cried out to God, how can you want me to send away my son? He didn't do anything wrong. Hagar didn't do anything wrong except for follow my broken leadership. And now they're going to be discarded. But I think what's actually happening is this. God is allowing Abraham to recognize something. That this is the world that his sin and brokenness has built. Abraham, this is it. This is the weight of your sin, and it's always more than we can bear. We like to pretty up our sin and act like we can handle it and act like we can manage it. But when we see the actual consequences of our sin, none of us can do anything except for throw our arms out and say, it's too much, God. It's too much. But in this moment of brokenness, God looks at Abraham and he says, I'm going to take care of him. I'm going to make him a great nation as well because he's your son. I will take care of him. And I think one of the most beautiful acts that Abraham does. I don't know. When we get to heaven, we can ask him. I think one of the most beautiful things he does is give them a couple of pieces of bread and a little bit of water and say, I am trusting God for you in a way that I haven't up to this point. And Ishmael, if this is what you remember of me, then may that be the best thing that you remember. That now, even though it took me 16, 17 years too long, I am really, really trusting God. I know that I talk pretty quick and I cover a lot of ground. And so I just want to hit pause for a minute. And I want to ask you guys a couple of questions at home. I want, to, I want you guys to think about this and feel free to pause it. If you guys want to talk, we won't have that ability in our context. Men, is the way that you trust God a blessing or a burden to your children and family? What I mean by that is, a lot of times we think my job is to love my wife and to love my kids. It is. Abraham had no lack of love for Ishmael. He didn't. We know that from the text. But is the way that our faith looks on Tuesday and Wednesday a blessing to our children and family? Do they see us praying? When something goes wrong at work or wrong at the house, when a kid throws a wooden spear that they made and it cracks a window, do they see faith or do they see anger? Do they see in us the fact that we trust God regardless of what the world sends our way? Because that's probably one of the best gifts that we can give our children. New fathers, 
I'm looking at a couple of pregnant people in the room right now and babies in the room. New fathers with young children. Are you putting in healthy rhythms now? Don't expect to sit down with your nine-year-old and have a good gospel conversation if you're just waiting until nine to get there. If you want to be the kind of family that reads together, that prays together, that has gospel conversations over dinner, that pauses movies and discusses what you're seeing, do it before they're born. Do it when they're two and they don't even understand what you're doing. Do it before you even have kids. Do it before you're married, men, so that you build these rhythms in to be the faithful men that your children can look up to. For all of us in this room, every one of us has fathers. Every one of us has boys that are in our world. Maybe they're children or grandchildren. What is one way that you could encourage faithfulness in the men around you? Uh, A lot of times, I'll be quite honest, women, you step into the gap because we as men fail. And you should be honored for that. Are you willing to step back when your man is willing to step forward? Maybe it took too long. Maybe it took years before he wanted to pray with the family. Maybe it took a long time before he wanted to get the family to church. But when he does, will you take a fraction of a step back to give a space for him to lead well? And then finally, have you, have we shared gratefulness for our father, to our father? And for some of us, that might be near impossible. We may really struggle to think about something to be grateful for. But is there a spiritual father who modeled this well for you? Is there someone that you could send a card to or a text and just say, you know what, you weren't my dad, but you were in this way. You were in this stage of my life. What are ways that we can see this requirement of God for godly men to be faithful? And how can we build that and cherish that in our lives? The hard thing about this text is that these boys lived two very different lives. And Ishmael did not deserve this. All of us are born into unequal situations and not a one of us got to pick our parents. I I, want to show you something. Um, uh, This slide will come up. I think it's going to come up for you guys at home. Uh, Don't put it up yet, Mark. Did you put it up already? If you're at home, I just wanted to say this. The past couple of weeks, we've been working really hard to be able to do the live thing and not um, make it clunkier for you. It was a whole lot easier when we pre-recorded, quite honestly, to put stuff. So we are shooting for that. If, if, if things fall off at home, just know that we're working on it. We're a couple of weeks out from a couple of tweaks that we think is going to make it easier for you guys. But I, I think, Mark, are, you, are things working pretty good for the at-home people? Great. All right, so what do all of these things have in common. 71% of high school dropout, 71% of pregnant teenagers, 85% of all children with behavior disorders, and 90% or more of homeless and runaway children. Anybody want to make a guess? I mean, come on. I'm halfway through the sermon. You know. This is what we see in our culture when dads are not present in the home. And just so you know, that's a short list. That's staggering. Dads being, and this isn't even saying a good dad. This is just saying having a guy in the home makes a massive difference. And for some of us, when we think about Father's Day, for some of us, when we look at this text and we're thinking, I'm not Isaac, I'm Ishmael. That's the life that I grew grew up in. For some in this room, it can seem like you won the lottery and praise God for that. For others of us, it can seem like a cruel joke. But watch what God does in the midst of this. Watch how God steps into the mess. Ishmael and Hagar have walked away. Let's find them now in verse 15. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. 
Now, keep in mind, he's 16, and this is important because I was always confused in reading this text because it it sounds like Ishmael's four. I'm going to explain to you why I think the text reads this way in a moment. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. You guys know. Mark, what's the distance of a bow shot back in the day? I'm going to go with 30 yards, 20 yards, 20, 30 yards, 60 feet for us imperial non-metric. So she goes from one side of the room to the other. She can see that he's okay. She can see that things are all right, but she doesn't want to be near him. Why? She went opposite him a good way off about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. Things have gotten bad real quick. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. This is the setup. Before I read the next, which is my favorite part of this text. Let's go into this world. There was a feast. Everything was great. Ishmael throws up one of these and the world changes. Because of the sin of his father, the faithlessness of his father, the the weight of that being borne on him. Should he have done this? No. And now, leaving behind home, leaving behind food, leaving behind provision, they look at some crumbs and some drops in a bottle. And they run out. And for some reason, a strapping 16-year-old who's going to become the kind of guy who never settles. He stays in the wilderness. He becomes an incredible hunter. This is a capable young man. This isn't a soft guy. This isn't a guy who's playing video games eight hours a day. This is a guy who's outside and he's learning skills. Ishmael knows what he is doing. And for some reason, his mom has to lay him down underneath a tree. For some reason, he seems weak, and I don't know this, so I'm going to step away from our pulpit for a moment when I say it. My guess is Ishmael was taking less of the water and less of the bread to take care of his mom because he loved her dearly, and he watched her life crumble, not just his own. He's taking the weight even of that brokenness, and he is depleted before she is. Seems like he's being a good son. So she puts him down in the shade under a tree and walks away because she doesn't want to watch her son die. And she cries out, but check this out. In verse 16, we read that Hagar lifts up her voice. But notice what we see in verse 17. And God heard the voice of the boy. He's not hearing Hagar's voice. Apparently, something is going on on the other side underneath that tree. Apparently, Ishmael, in whatever breath he has left, and whatever energy he has left, is crying out to God. And I, I think we can surmount that it is some level of faith that maybe he has finally seen in his father a kind of faith worth emulating, and now he is calling out to God. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not. For God, here it is, has heard the voice of the boy. Where he is. God's listening to the fatherless son. He's listening to the one who is cast out. Verse 18. Up. Lift up the boy. Hold him fast with your hand. For I will make him into a great nation. And God opened up her eyes. And she saw a well of water. God had provided for her. She just couldn't see it. It took the eyes of faith before they could God opened her eyes, she seized the well, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy. I, I know that uh, we know what happens in history. Ishmael, they become uh, the Arabs, and so sometimes we can have a bad thought because we think of Christianity and Islam. 
God loves Muslim people. He is rescuing them right now as I'm speaking. We, by the way, for any of us who are not Jewish, are not descendants of Isaac anyway. We're the Gentiles. We're really more like Ishmael than we are like Isaac in the first place. And here God is stepping in, and he was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt, and he is given a full life. Our father's sins are beyond their ability to remedy. Whatever comes to mind when you think of your biological fathers, whoever you called dad growing up, when you think of his sin, it is beyond his ability to remedy. He, he can come to Christ later in life. He can apologize 30 minutes later. But consequences and scars are not erased like forgiveness is given to us by God. Doesn't matter how hard they try, but... They are not beyond our heavenly father's capacity to remedy. Yes, the sins of our fathers and fathers are sins are beyond our ability to fix. But it is not beyond the heavenly father's ability. In fact, many times we find that it is our brokenness that God in his majesty uses to rebuild and redeem a broken wandering people. Every scar, every slam door, raised fist demolishing word, every moment of absence, every moment of abuse that you lived through is not beyond God's ability to repair. He always attends those who cry out to him in faith. God loves to clean up messy, messy stories. I want to put our eyes on Romans 8 and then I'm going to close this out. Romans 8 says this, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. How are we led by the Spirit of God? By faith. No workarounds, no shortcuts. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we, this is talking about all believers, we can cry out, Abba, Father. We can have the same vernacular with God the Father that Jesus had with him. Do you, do you realize how incredible that is? That every one of us, and, and I'm looking at sons and fathers and grandfathers in this room, every one of us can be sons of God. I'm looking at daughters and grandmothers and mothers, and every one of us can be daughters of God simply by the Spirit of God, and it will never work because of a workaround. It's never going to happen because we say, you know what, God, your plan was pretty good, but like Abraham, I think I've got a little tweak. No, it's when we look at our sin and we look at our brokenness and we say, it's too much. I can't do this. I can't handle it. God, would you hear me crying to you from the base of a tree when I've got nothing left? God says, of course I'm going to hear you. I've been listening to you your whole life. I've been calling you your whole life. I've wanted nothing more but for you to know me as Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with ours that we are children of God. And if children heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. God cleans up messy stories and broken families and sends relational toxicity. I, I want to show you the last piece of this little puzzle in Genesis 25. In Genesis 25, we read this in verse 8. Abraham breathed his last and he died in a good old age. An old man and full of years and he was gathered to his people. It's beautiful. Lives a full life. But you know what I think was the most meaningful part of that? It's what comes next. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, 
buried him. In the cave of Machpah, I'm going to hit some hard words here. In the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, east of Mamre. What happens at the end of the day when, when Abraham's life is done? God has been faithful even when he was not. There's, there's more, but I'll, I'll just end this with this. In Christ, our blessing is not dependent on our father of birth, but our father of faith. Deuteronomy 32.9 tells us this, that the Lord's portion is his people. God owns everything. Everything. But what he cherishes most is you and me. And so, we are neither doomed nor destined by the faith or the faithfulness of our earthly fathers. It'll affect you greatly. Maybe more than almost anything on the planet. But that does not have the ultimate say. The saving grace of Christ is stronger than any situation any of us were ever born into. That's the hope we have in Christ. Let's pray. Father, I am so grateful that I can begin my prayer that way. Father, think about all the people in this room and viewing at home. I think about all the brokenness and all the hurt. I, I celebrate those who have fathers that they can look up to and, and cherish. But I am so grateful that there is not a child born on this planet that cannot, with a little faith, have the greatest father any of us could imagine and more. You find us where we are, and you never leave us there. But through us believing in you, trusting in you, having faith in you, you bring us into an eternal, perfect family. And as your son sitting, standing, amidst my brothers and sisters in your family, I am abundantly grateful for who you are to me and to us as a father. And so we praise you for that today. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.